I'm Wendy Hall. I'm a professor of computer science at the University of Southampton in the UK. That's my day job. I do lots of other things. Um, in, I'm actually, probably the reason I'm here is because I'm currently co-chair of the UK government's AI review. And um, I am most well known for my work on the web and the internet and uh, founding the web science discipline with Tim Berners-Lee. And so the socio-technical is what really gets me passionate at the moment, the whole idea that it's what technology, the interplay between technology and society that's the really important thing at the moment and even more important when you think about the possibilities of AI. Why we founded the whole web science discipline back in 2006 was that we began to realise, and this was, you know, the web started in 1990. Tim put the first website up in 1990. And back then, it was all about being a force for good and helping people share information over the internet. Um, and the standards, HTML, HTTP, were open and free. And Tim's legacy, really, is that he gave it away. His, his theory was either everybody will use it or nobody will. So I've got to give it away. You know, I, if he'd have been a, a more of an entrepreneur like Bill Gates, it, it might have been a very different world from the get-go, good or bad, who knows, but it was the, it was, I believe, passionately, that was the fact he gave it away with open standards, building on top of the open standards in the internet, that actually enabled it to take off as, a, as the global hypertext system. And of course, it's become much more than that. Um, and as Tim envisaged, um, you know, it became, first of all, it was read-only and, and there was always the idea that we would want to write to it without having to learn code. So the whole web logging thing emerged as the browsers developed in the 90s, became more interactive. And once you could write to it, then what we now know, see as the social networks became inevitable, right? Because young techies like yourself wrote programs, applications, services that enable people to put stuff on the web uh, that anybody in the world could look at uh, without having to be a computer scientist, right? And I don't think any of us predicted how that would take off. Back in those days, in the 90s, uh, we didn't really envisage the amount of bad things that people would want to do on this system. And that was because we, we just weren't thinking of it from a socio-technical point of view. We were thinking about the technology and, and rolling that out and, and making it do wonderful things uh, to, to help people. But, of course, once you do that, then people want to steal money from you. They want to bully you. They want to... Uh, they, the market forces start to play. Uh, and. and Quite rightly, people want to make money out of this uh, amazing technology. And the, uh, where we've gone now is that you see the uh, centralization of the, the, the internet world in the big companies, the Googles, the Amazons, the Facebooks, the Alibabas. And that, you know, it's, it's putting control into uh, uh, companies that, of course, they're, they're not 
that's out to, to hurt us, but it's their, they've got to make money for their shareholders. And so they're trying to get more people to use it. They're trying to profile us more and so they can customize their services to us. And this all leads to this centralization, which um, then, you know, and then we've got all the issues of cybersecurity and uh, privacy versus surveillance and these major issues now. And the geo geopolitical, suddenly countries realize what a a powerful control mechanism uh, the internet is, as well as an enabler. Um, so all these things are coming together uh, in a way that um, you know we have to think about what do we want to happen in the future? Where do we want that control to be? How do we re-decentralize? How do we distribute um, uh, the internet again? The reason we're in this fourth or fifth wave of AI, depending on how many waves you count, how far back you go. Uh, we were talking earlier about I, my MSc thesis in my computer science MSc in the 80s. My dissertation was on prologue in education. That was a logic programming language that was all about and trying to build an intelligent tutoring system in the 80s. And of course, we couldn't even begin to do it. The computers were so primitive in those days, the interaction, and there wasn't the data to enable the, the, the programs to learn. And now we have, largely because of the internet and the power of the computers, we can generate huge amounts of data uh, and therefore we can create data sets that enable machines to learn and actually start to achieve the things that the AI pioneers were talking about in the 70s. And we're beginning to see that happen. We're in a buzzworld of AI at the moment. We won't achieve everything that the science fiction writers talked about with this wave. But it's going to really change society in terms of the balance between what people do and what machines do. So that interplay is really important. Um, and who, who controls the data is absolutely crucial. Um, and we all worry about our governments having the data. But of course, they're really trying to, they're trying to protect us, our governments. I mean, there are other governments in the world that use it very much for control. I think in the West, largely, our governments are trying to protect us from harm. Um, but there's also a huge amount of data in the big companies. Um, and do we want them making the decisions for us about how we get our health care, how we get our transport systems, you know, how we, democracy, the whole, I mean, look at the US presidential election. It's very clear that uh, the Trump campaign used data in Facebook to help target people with messages about vote, voting for him, let alone what the Russians did. Right. Is this what we expected the internet to be used for? No. And, and you know, we, we've got to work to, to ensure that we keep our freedoms. And so the issue about data is trying to create a level playing field where there's not necessarily regulation, but there's codes of ethics and best practice about what you can and can't do with data that governments need ways to enforce with the big, with the big companies. We need to make a level playing field with the small companies, the startups, so they have access to data to test their algorithms on. Uh, so that, it, otherwise, you know, how do you how do you evolve the market and diversify it and 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 enable companies to grow that can compete with the, the current big five or six. What excited me about coming to the AI Summit was that there were going to be so many people here from the AI world and from different sectors of that world, not just the academics that I normally mix with, but people from the big companies that are developing AI from that perspective, from the new startups that have wonderful innovative ideas and are looking for ways to uh, 
uh, get them out into the world um, from the government, uh, from the, um, uh, the NGO space, you know, long, from the um, philanthropic, philanthropic space, um, from, from the charities, the people that are looking to do good with AI throughout the world and in the developing world. And I think it was that coming together of people. And I thought, well, I really want to be part of this and see where the currents are flowing and where the best place to put my energy is in the future.